4, we'll begin with verse number 1 as we continue our study. I've only got about three. It's on. Yes, yes. I don't need the mic. Over in Africa, we didn't have to worry about it. We just raised the voice a little, turned up the volume. In chapter 4, he really starts getting into this idea of rest. And it's somewhat confusing if you don't sort some things out and begin to understand where he's going and why he's saying what he's saying. So we're going to go ahead and just read the first three verses and then we'll go back and, and take a look at something else here. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 1, he said, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Father, help us tonight. Lord, be able to understand this passage that sets the stage for the rest of the, the chapter. And Lord, help us as we understand this matter of rest, that you might be exalted tonight as we study. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Nine times in chapter 4 alone, he mentions rest. And there's different kinds of rest. We're going to just look at basically two or three of them tonight. But the first one is promised rest. And you see this uh, as we go along here, but understand how we get here. Because we know that God said in chapter 3, in verse number 16, look there, just kind of a review of last week, for some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. So in verse number 16, he said, they all heard. In verse number 17, he says, but with whom he was grieved 40 years, was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? They did not enter his rest. They died in the wilderness. Look in verse 18. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So he served, first he says they heard, then he says they did not enter into his rest, then they said they should not enter into his rest, and in verse 19 he finishes it up, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So you have the stage over and over, verse after the verse. He's, he's driving this home. Then he gets to verse number 1 in chapter 4, and he says, let us, what? Why is it therefore to point us back to what he's just said? Because we know that God said they'd heard. Because we knew that they did not enter, God's word was fulfilled exactly the way he said. They all died in the wilderness. Because, he says, they should not. And the fact is that they could not. Once you cross God's deadline, that's it. I know that's not popular preaching. But that's it. There is no hope. Now watch this. Let us therefore, what? What say in your Bible? Fear. If you have an NIV, it says let us be careful. That's not what he's saying at all. 
That's why you better be careful on the translations that you read and that you, you study out of. Because they have totally weakened what God is trying to get across. This is not a little Sunday school. This is not a game that we're playing on the playground. This is real life. And he has been warning them. And he said, look, they should not enter. They could not enter. They did not enter. Why? Because I said that's it. Therefore, fear. Why are we so afraid? We always want to say, well, God, we really don't want to fear God. Yes, we do. Why are we so afraid of fearing God? Well, we don't like a God that we have to fear. Well, then you better get a different one. Because he says, I want you to fear because of what God has done and the illustration that he's used. He said, therefore, fear. Polobo. That's the Greek word. It is not be careful. It is not think again about what you're doing. He said, it is a term, fear. That's why in Job 22, 28, he says, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Look, I love my dad, but I feared my dad. Why? Because when he said something, he meant it. Now, he was kind, and he loved me, and I loved him, but I still feared him. He was bigger than me. God says, you better fear what I'm about to give you here. Because this is serious business. He says, give serious consideration to this. God is giving us wisdom in this passage. If you want a little God that goes around putting daisies in a gum barrel and says, peace, love, uh, you're looking at the wrong place. Because that is not the God of the Bible. And if that's your type of God, you'll see what he says. What, what are you looking for? And that's what he brings out here. It, it, it's real life. It's real fear. First of all, God gave them a promise of rest. Notice he says, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. God gave us a promise. He wants us to have rest. There's three different types of biblical rest here that we're going to look at. The rest, uh, what, what were they looking for? What type of rest were they looking for? They're out here, they're persecuted, they're, out, they're, they're running for their lives, and, and just with clothes on their back, we've been in Africa, we've seen this happen. And if you don't have anything... It's not like you, you'd have to leave your home and all your goodies. They can put everything they own in, in just basically a sack or two and they're gone. So they're running for their life. And when he comes to this point, think about what they were looking for. And then I'll ask you what type of rest were you looking for? The Jewish Christians were being persecuted. No doubt they were thinking, look, this is not what I signed up for. Where's all these blessings that God promised? Why, why am I suffering the way I'm suffering? Why is this going wrong? Why is this happening? I should have stayed back in Judaism. I should have stayed back with my old friends in my old life. I had it better off then. I didn't have all these problems. You ever hear anybody say that? A hundred times if I've heard it once. What were you looking for? Why did you get saved? What did you expect out of salvation? Did you only want help? I've talked to so many people and they'll say, well, I say, are you saved? And they say, oh yeah, I'm saved. Well, when did you get saved? Well, I, I was in the hospital and and, and I just, I asked God to heal me, and I was healed, and boy, so I know I'm saved. That's not salvation. That's the wrong expectation. What, did you want peace or freedom? Or did you want freedom from sin? 
and hell. Now think with me. Let's go back here. He's been talking about passages in Psalms and David and all of these people all the way up to this point. And he's talking about rest. Rest, rest. Moses, he led Israel from bondage and and they were led by God throughout the wilderness. Yet they come into Canaan. No rest. Out of all the hundreds of thousands of men, only two entered into Canaan, into that promised rest. Hundreds of thousands. They had no rest. Joshua led Israel into Canaan. And they had victory after victory after victory, military victories all over the place. Yet, they did not experience rest. When David wrote this, they had, they'd been in the land for, for many, many, many years. And in Psalm 95, when he, when he writes these statements about rest, they still had no rest. Because of sin. But he says this rest being left us. What is he saying here? The promise was still there. And the promise is still there today for us. That's why Hebrews 4 and verse 9. We'll get to that next week. But he said there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Just because of what Israel's done. He said Take that for an illustration. They wouldn't enter into God's rest, and God said, you crossed the deadline. He sent them back out in the desert to die. But he said, there's still rest. There's still hope. If you will do what God says to do. The promise is is still there for us. But the promise is still there for those that do not believe. They will still die and go to hell. They still have a deadline they can cross. The promise is to both sides. He says, notice, lest any of you seem to come short of it. This is a warning. This is why we're supposed to fear God. He says, If any of you, men, look, men can still come short of God. Men can still come and they they see what God does. But yet, like Israel, they stop short. That's what he says here. They come short of it. I want you to make sure. I want you to know. For all my life growing up in Lutheran church, I, I had no really idea I... I hoped that God would weigh it out, and I hope I had more good ones than I did bad ones. And, you know, I, I kind of, that's the way it was. He says, I want you to make sure so that you don't come short. The term short here means to be late or lax. Remember the message I preached on dead fish? That, was, that same thing, he says in Hebrews 2, verse 1, they let them slip. They heard it, they saw it, they, they was all, God was all around. But they let it slip. They procrastinated. They heard it, but they, well, one day I'll make a decision. One day I'll get saved. They look like them dead fish are just floating down the river, dead as a mackerel. They're moving, but they're just dead fish. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 says basically the same thing. Examine yourselves. He's writing this to people that call themselves Christians. Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Make sure you're saved. Prove your own selves. How did he say in chapter 3 that we proved our own selves? We obeyed God. We don't turn away when the going gets rough. We stay with God the whole way through. He says, Knowing, know ye not your own selves? 
how that Jesus Christ is in you except you be reprobates? Do you know God? Is he working in your life? Is he living in your heart? For 26 years I went to church. I, I knew when to turn to the altar and speak for the people and turn to the people and speak for God and ring the bells and light the candles and all that stuff. I didn't know God. I had no idea who God was. Christ was not in me. Take a good look at your life tonight. Are you going forward? Are you stagnant? Or are you going back? If we don't believe God, that God is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, if we don't have that concept, then we are going to want the old world. We're going to want the leeks and onions instead of the ice cream. I put that in my notes here. <laughs> I don't ever want to drink again. I know what it does to a wife. I know what it does to children. I know what it does to your home and your career. I hate it with a passion. And when Jesus set me free, I don't want to go back. He changed my want to. You, you, you still fighting that battle all the time. You're wanting to go back. You're wanting to go back. You're wanting to go back. You want them onions. You want the leeks. You want the garlics. Just like Israel when they come and God said, I want to give you rest. And they said, no, we want the onions, the garlic. We want slavery again instead of being out here with, with you. Verse number two. For unto us was the gospel preached. Now understand the gospel he said was preached to us. Paul was a Jew. He's writing this to the Jews, to the Hebrews. And so he's referring to them and himself. The gospel was preached unto us, the Jews that professed salvation. As well, verse 2, as unto them. Those that were in the Old Testament, those Jews who were out there in the wilderness, they were professors, but they were not possessors. They were God's chosen people. God chose Israel, but that doesn't mean everybody's saved. That's just like we have a church. We claim to be the church of God, yet not everybody's probably saved. They professed to know God, but they did not know him. It's easy to say I'm a Christian, but where is Jesus in the life and in the thoughts of the person? The gospel was preached in the wilderness. You say, well, the gospel didn't come till Jesus came, the disciples. No, no, the gospel was preached in the wilderness to the Old Testament saints. Jesus led them. He led them through the wilderness. He led them from bondage. He gave them their worship system, the system of the blood sacrifice as payment for their sins. He taught them that they were to only trust God. All of this Jesus was doing. You say, I don't see that. Well, you will in a minute. The gospel was clearly preached in the Old Testament. When he set up that worship system, it was to show them, to point them to God. It had to be a blood sacrifice. The only thing that God would set. But yet the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin, Hebrews says. But Jesus Christ, one sacrifice, the Lamb of God, that took the sins of the world upon himself. He says, but the word preached did not profit them. Now watch that. 
they were, they were preached the gospel. They heard the gospel. They witnessed the gospel right in front of them every day. But it did not profit them. The word profit is the term to benefit or to increase. It did not lead them to salvation. They were not saved. They didn't get saved. All they saw was the motions. Just like people in America. People go to church. They may even take a Bible. They'll sing the songs. They'll pray the prayers. Then they go home. And until the next service, there's not another thought about God all week. That's not salvation. We'll talk about that later as we go through here. Said so the word did not profit. It did not benefit them. You see people worshiping all over America in churches just like this. They're hearing the word, but it doesn't profit them. Why? Because they won't believe. They don't mix that, what they're hearing, with faith, trust in what God is saying. I can, I can preach the gospel out of the Jehovah Witness Bible. I've done it many times. I can preach the gospel out of the Catholic Bible. It's there. But they don't get it. Why? He goes on in that verse, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. See, salvation is by faith. Faith, Israel said they believed God, but yet their actions proved their unbelief. Caleb and Joshua said they believed God, but when they come to the border and God said go in, they said let's go. Why? Because they believed God. So well, they've got big giants in there. I got a big God over here. He can whoop them. He's been whooping them out there in the desert all these times when they'd come and attack us. It wasn't us. It wasn't our ability. We're just a bunch of brick-making slaves. We didn't know nothing about fighting. Our God is the one that whooped them. Now let's go in. Their actions proved their faith. Our actions prove our faith, when the, when the difficulty's there, do we quit, get mad at God, quit church, quit reading our Bible, quit praying? Or do we really say, God, now I really need you? That proof of their faith. There was a, to illustrate this, there's a, a, a Philippe Pettit. He performed a high-wire act from one building to another up in Portland. They'd tie a cable on one building and, and I don't know how many feet away, and it was high up in the air and everything, and he'd walk back and forth on this thing, and big old crowds would come out and all this. But there was a girl named Ann Stewart, or Ann Seward. She was asked to trust him. And ride on his back across that wire. She had to place her life in his hands. Many of those who witnessed the performance said they believed that Pettit could do it with someone on his back. But their belief was only intellectual. Hers was genuine. They wouldn't climb on his back. Why? They said they believed he could do it. But when put to the test, they bowed out and said, I'll do it. And she crawled on his back and walked all the way across. She rested in him that's what we're talking about this kind of rest there's people still trying to get their way to heaven trying to 
find their way to heaven, trying to work their way to heaven. Well, if I get baptized, well, if I, if I try to keep the Ten Commandments, well, if I try to turn over a new leaf, or, or maybe if I start treating somebody right or different or something like this. No, no, that's not it. You're still working. God says, I'm here to give you rest. What's that mean? You've got to just simply place yourself on him and let him take you through that life to the end, to the other side. Faith is the response of a heart of belief in the person of Christ, not yourself. Do you believe in Christ? It's saying, I am a sinner and I trust you completely to save me and to deliver me from sin and carry me safely all the way to heaven, resting in Jesus. When it talks about they heard, it's in the aorist tense. It's a completed action in the past. They didn't see the gospel. They only saw the ceremony that the gospel was represented by. They were all self-serving. Why are you offering this sacrifice? Oh, I'm offering it to God. No, God said they were offering impure sacrifices. They were doing it the way they wanted, when they wanted, how they wanted it. It was all for their self-glorification. It wasn't for God at all. It's kind of like Christmas. What do men see? They see Santa Claus. They see the presents. They see all the parties, but they don't see Jesus. They don't have time for God. Now, you stop and think with me a minute. How many minutes in this whole Christmas season have you spent talking about Jesus? We say it's about him, but it's not. In Christian homes as well. We are so caught up with the world. We're like the Jews. We, it's right in front of us. The salvation story every Christmas is right there. I'm down there getting my ears lowered today, and a fellow come in and sit down in the chair after me, and he was, he was a pinned in audience he couldn't go anywhere and so I pulled out my track and I started talking with him witness to him and and, and the gal's supposed to be a Christian that that cuts the hair and and boy she just beaming you know like give it to him <laughs> and I just shared the gospel with him why it's a perfect opportunity it's all Christmas is all about Christ New Year's is all about Christ we get to start a new year of serving him and loving him and doing something for him this year is not about us. It's about him. They were looking for comfort out in the desert. They were looking for the blessings of God. They were looking for the, earth, the earthly peace. They were looking for retirement. They did not want to work. They just wanted to continue to have everything their way. They had no concern for sin at all. They wanted a benefactor. but didn't see the need of a Savior from sin. I say again, what rest are you looking for? I remember when I got saved, September 21st, 1975, over in Rota, Spain. God had convicted my heart. I was a wicked, hell-bound sinner. And I remember standing, they had us raised to stand up for the singing, for the invitation. And I thought, you know, I don't care if the king of Spain is in this auditorium. I must go forward. I've got to find out how to get saved. Why did you get saved? Get out of financial problems? Have a health problem and thought maybe that would get you a leg up or something? Or did you really have a burden because of your sin? That I am a sinner. 
if I die right now, I'm going to bust hell wide open. And the only hope, the only thing I have, I can't do a thing to please God. I can only fall at the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ and receive him as my Savior. Yes, the gospel does promise salvation, and as a result, there is liberty, there is help, there is blessing, there's inheritance. So what was the problem with the Jews? It wasn't in the message. The message was from God himself. The worship service was from God himself. It wasn't the messenger. Moses was faithful, the Bible said in chapter 1, faithful to proclaim the truth and teach them God's ways. It wasn't a problem of the power. God showed his power. He opened the Red Sea. He destroyed the Egyptian army. He provided manna for them for years and years, every day. Never missed one. He provided water just right out of a rock that'd feed over a million people and all the livestock and all the, just a huge amount of water. Wasn't a problem of the power of God. Wasn't a problem of Jesus. He blessed them. Jesus blessed them over and over. See, we're talking about Old Testament. Yes, that's why 1 Corinthians 10, 4. It says, and all did drink the same spiritual rock, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. He was the one that was leading them through the wilderness. He was the one that was providing the water. He was the one that was defending them and destroying the enemy. He was there. He was there in every one of those worship services. But they didn't see him. They didn't see them working in their lives. Nor did they know him. We, we're so caught up in life. But just like Israel, we miss God. Miss seeing that God is the one that's doing these things. It was not the Spirit. Hebrews 3, 7 says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. The Holy Spirit is the one that wrote that Bible. He's the author of the Scriptures. He's the one that was saying it. So the Father was there, the Son was there, and the Holy Spirit was there. The gospel was proclaimed over and over. He was speaking to them, but they didn't hear him. Do you see him? Do you hear him? Look at our life. What place does he have, really? Do we... Take our vacation around the things of God or do we work the things of God in kind of as it fits into our plan? All of these things, it shows something. The priorities in our life. Like Israel, God uses things in our life to bring us to himself. I love to preach funerals. Not because I like to see people dead. But it's one of the greatest opportunities to present the gospel because people, I believe God is speaking. God uses all these things. I believe that God is speaking to the hearts of people and saying, what if that was me? Am I ready to meet God? God is speaking, but are we listening? He says, don't harden your heart to God because he's trying to bring you to himself. I remember in Vietnam, God was trying to draw me to himself. I remember one day I laid on my rack there in the ship and they'd blown up their weed and stuff like this and I'm smelling that and I'm thinking God I, 
I don't, man, if I died, I don't have no idea what, what, what am I going to do. I made an appointment to go see the military chaplain. And I went down there and I sat across the desk from him and he said, Sailor, what can I do for you? I said, I don't know if I've committed unpardonable sin or what, or you can tell how much knowledge I had. I said, all I know is I, my life is a mess. I'm a drunk. I'm a... He looked across that desk and he said, Sailor, you're home free. I walked in there and said, what must I do to be saved? And he didn't have any more spiritual gumption than to tell me I'm homesick. I was a lost man, but I sat there thinking in my mind, I don't know what the answer is, but I know this buzzard don't have it. And I walked out of there just as lost as I could. And by the grace of God, he transferred me all the way across the world to Spain. A missionary by the name of Eddie Woodfield come over there and started church for GIs. An old drunk buddy of mine got me talked into going out to church. And my life had gone from bad to worse. And I, he got me out there one day and God spoke to my heart. And I realized for the first time I was just nothing but a filthy sinner. And the preacher said if I'd put my faith in Jesus Christ and quit trying to do all the things that I try to do, just let God, he's already done the work, just accept him as your Savior. And be willing to just trust him. And that day I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he changed this old buzzard, I'll tell you. The second point, believers rest in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 3. For we which have believed. Now he's talking to those that are Christians. The Jews that have become Christians. And they're under pressure and they're thinking about going back. He says, for we which have believed do enter into rest. Just like Ann Stewart rested in Philippi. The, we rest in Jesus Christ. The context here all the way through this shows that he's talking about the rest of salvation. That's what he's trying to get across to him. He said, if you are saved, you continue on. You obey the Lord. You don't turn back. You rest in him. Trust him no matter how tough it gets. You just rest in him because that rest that we get at salvation, that will see us through. Rest is for those that believe the gospel. Israel was in unbelief. They thought they were good enough. They weren't good enough. No one's good enough. They would not believe that they were sinners. So in chapter 4 here, it talks about different types of rest. You have the rest he explains about Israel. Israel's rest that had been promised in Canaan. But yet it was revoked because of their unbelief. It talks about God's rest after creating the world. In verse number 4, we'll see that next week. God ceased from work. That's what we've got to do. We've got to try, try to quit trying to get ourselves to heaven. We've got to obey him and just rest in him. About the Christian rest that experience, that's experienced by salvation both now and then in the future as we continue with Christ. It's still available. He wants to give it to us if we'll receive him by faith. I rested from my work, and I just simply accepted what he did for me. And I have never, never wanted to go back. I don't want those onions anymore when there's ice cream on this side. Amen. He said, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, the opportunity for rest was given to them. It had been offered, but it was rejected by Israel. And they crossed God's deadline. When they said, no, we're not going to trust you. No, there's giants in there. 
No, there's big dudes. It's going to be tough. And they turned back and said, let's go back to Egypt. And God said, you'll not make it to Egypt because you're going to die in the desert. And they did. We possess his promise of rest by faith. A faith that shows that it's real by our obedience. He's not talking about a loss of salvation. You can't lose something you don't possess. It's not yours to start with. But when he gives you salvation, eternal life, you possess that and you cannot lose that. Christians can lose fellowship and peace and rewards. But what is he talking about here? And let's kind of sum this up here. What Israel had was cultural religion. Okay? It's cultural religion. Those who profess to believe but come short of personally experiencing the salvation of, through Jesus Christ. They were part of God's chosen people as a nation, but individually they'd never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's why in Mark chapter 7 and verse 6, he answered and said unto them, Well has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honoreth me. Now notice, they're honoring him. They're worshiping. Just like Laodicea, they were going into the church. They were singing the song. They were preaching the word. They were doing all these things. He said, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Anybody can say I'm a Christian, but look at the proof. Although the works were finished, he continues in that verse, although the works were finished from the foundation of the word, uh, for the world, what, what works is he talking about? He's talking about the works of salvation. God's work, the payment of sin that was necessary, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as payment for the sins of the world so that the world could have rest. It was all done by God. God's purpose for man was that he always wanted rest for us. When we don't have rest, it's not his fault. You know the Christian life is easy? That's what Jesus said. Take my yoke upon you. It's easy. My yoke is light. Why is it so hard? Because we're fighting him. We're trying to do it our way. When you get out of God's will, you're trying to swim upstream. And you're going to be fighting and getting tired and frustrated. You're not going to get any rest there. But when you get behind him, he just makes the path. And it becomes easy. You mean there's no troubles? No, there'll be troubles. There'll be problems. I just read my devotions this morning. Just really a blessing. You know, when, when Jesus, he says, John was thrown in prison. Remember reading that this morning? John was thrown in prison. You know what that tells me? John was in the perfect will of God, and God still had him go to prison. When he was beheaded, I hear people say all the time, well, you know, if, if you just do, do this, God will bless you. Well, wait a minute. What's blessing? Blessings according to you or blessings according to God? Because of John's death, many have been blessed. He talked about Peter, and he says, the death of Peter will glorify God. So it's not absence of all these things, but in the midst of all of them, we can have the peace of Almighty God. His purpose was for us was to have rest. God had that plan from the beginning. Rest is there if you want it. Genesis 3.15, he talks about that's when he started this promise of rest. He 
said, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. There's going to be a fight. There's going to be bloodshed. He goes on down in chapter 3 and verse 21. It says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. He started already from the very beginning. He said there's going to be shedding of blood for the remission of sin. And that's why Hebrews 9.22 said, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Are you wanting the blood or are you just wanting the help for your problem? The shedding of blood for man's sin, Jesus. That's why 1 Peter 1.18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, vain is the term empty or worthless. And the conversation is that manner of life. And he's talking about, he's focusing on the empty religious worship traditions of Judaism. And he said, they were empty. They were worshiping. But God didn't accept their worship. We think that if we come to church and, and, and we sleep through half the sermon, we get a, open our eye and finally say, amen, that God's just really going to be blessed because I was there. God don't have to accept our worship. Our worship must be acceptable, not vain, empty worship. That's why he goes on. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He's referring to that picture of Christ that was established back in the Old Testament with Israel. He's showing them the same thing. Salvation only comes through the blood of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And verse 20 continues, who, who hath verily hath foreordained before the foundation of the world. That's what he said in our verse here in Hebrews. But was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that was raised up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. That's where our faith has to be. That's where our hope is. Not in how good we are. So let me ask you. Do you have the promised rest? Do you know for sure if you died right now that you would go to heaven? The alternative is you'll bust hell wide open. Forever. And that's not what God wants for you. And he says, I want you to make sure of your salvation. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Make sure, Paul says. That's what he's telling the Hebrews. Stop working. Stop working. There's nothing that you and I can do to please God. There's no righteousness in us at all. There's none righteous. No, not one it's only Jesus and that's what he's trying to get across to them salvation he's promising us rest rest from our struggle rest from our, our wickedness rest from our sin he said I will give you eternal life if you will just acknowledge your sin and put your faith and trust in me. I'll give you eternal life and I'll give you that rest. Or are you in cultural belief? Mom and dad's religion. That don't get you to heaven. Well, I grew up in the church. I'll never, I don't know how many times we're in churches and, and, and uh, are you a Christian? Well, my Uncle Bill is a preacher. Okay, mine's a plumber, so what? I don't get you to heaven. Trying to, it's cultural religion because somebody in my family may be a man of God, and I'm not saying they're not, but that don't get you to heaven. 
Jesus Christ is the only way. All of that is nothing but cultural religion. And it is unbelief. That is exactly what Judaism has. What we ought to say is, God, I am a sinner. I deserve hell. I've had people say, I want to get saved. And I start going through the sinner's prayer with them. And, and I say, I deserve to die and go to a devil's hell. And they say, oh, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Unbelief. They don't think they deserve hell. I got news for them. Every one of us deserves hell. And that's all we deserve. But because of the grace and mercy of God, he gave us his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. He's our substitute so that we don't have to go through all of that. We simply get a hold of him, wrap our arms around him, and just rest. And let him walk across that tightrope of life till we get to heaven. I believe only in Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. I'm resting in him and what he did for me. I don't know your heart. You may, I've known preachers that have been preaching the gospel for 15 years. One of them is a missionary over in Spain, great friend of mine. After he pastored two churches, he bowed on his knees and he got saved. I've led the cream of the crop, some of the college students that come there to the, to the university to study, to preach, and study to, about missions and all of this, and I've sat there in my office and led them to Jesus Christ because they had never been saved. Had their parents fooled, had their families fooled, had their churches fooled, but they didn't fool God. God says, make sure you're saved. Don't take anything for granted. Fear this. God says, there is a deadline. You cross that deadline and you can scream and holler and hoop and shout and do whatever you want. You're not going. You'll not enter into his rest. He proved it out in the wilderness. He proved it time after time throughout the scriptures. We are no different. And that's why he said we better fear. It's that serious. God's not playing games. I don't read your mail. I don't check your email. Only you and God know whether you're saved or not. But I plead with you, make sure you're saved. Know that if you died today, you'd go to heaven before you die. May we pray. Father in heaven.